Don't be cruel to our best true. true. Don't, Don't be cruel to a heart that's true. There's two bald men on this show. Where are the other two or three that we have? It's too many bald men. Bald is beautiful. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 86 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Howdy. John Papa. Duty. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about being a good open source citizen. Does anybody actually know who Howdy Duty is? Uh, (laughs) That's true. Look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. I think only one of us is that old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one of us that looks that old. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Now we're all wondering. Yeah. All right. So, uh, John, this was your recommendation. I think we all got behind it pretty fast, but I'm, I'm kind of curious what you were thinking when you recommended this topic. Yeah, so there's uh, I'm an owner of many different open source libraries up on GitHub, several of them, and I'm a contributor to many as well. And it's been interesting. Lately, it seems like the topic keeps coming up from different angles. As an open source owner for a library, what's the best way to encourage and to keep the community to help contribute to things like the style guide or something that's more code-based like Toaster.js, which I own? And the other side is how do you make it more palatable for people who maybe are noobs who want to come into it and try it out for the first time and people who are more experienced who want to do it as well because it can be a scary proposition. But also from the other angle is, uh, how do you be a good citizen from somebody who's contributing to a library? Like we've all used something before and then found out, ah, library XYZ isn't doing what I want. So I just want to tell that person, Ward Bell, he's awful and his library barred JS is just destroying my life. You know, I mean, what's the right way to actually pose the question and get a good response from an open source project to uh, get what you want? You put in a pull request that rewrites the entire thing, and then you call the pull request, fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, right solution there is to create an issue that outlines your specific environment, specific bug, and then expect the creator to solve it for you. This is going exactly the direction that I was thinking it's going in. To some degree, much of what we were going to talk about was inspired by actually a Scott Hanselman post called Bringing Kindness Back to Open Source, in which he, and we're going to put that in the notes, in which he makes a case, and we're going to discuss it here, for how open source owners like us should treat the community, treat our community. But we as open source owners have immediately turned it around 
in the first five minutes here and want to talk about how those people who consume our stuff should be nicer to us. And I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about that, too. <laughs> well, it's, it's not just for us, right? It's yeah. for everything. Like, I don't own the Angular library, for example, and I see a lot of the comments up on there. I mean, I own uh, some small libraries, and some of the comments I get are, hey, I'm having a real hard time with this, and this is what I tried, and how does this work? Or I'd like it to work this way instead of that way. But then once in a while, you get one that's your library bad, you fix, me no like you. And you know the way you respond is important. I've got a certain way that I respond, but uh, I'm sure it's different from other people too. So as an owner of an open source library, I think it's really important to keep in mind that it's easy for people to sound worse over GitHub issues than it does in person. Nobody's going to come up to Wardbell's face and say, you're terrible, I hate your library, except for me. Yeah. But People will write that very easily, and we've got to keep that in mind is that these aren't bad people. These are just uh, frustrated people. Sometimes it's three in the morning. They've been banging their head against the wall for four hours, and they just want some help. Ward, you own Breeze, right? Well, your company does. I'm sure you get stuff like this, you know, both positive and negative. How do you cultivate that community? It's really a challenge for us because we need to look behind the statements that we sometimes get, which can be very challenging, very aggressive. And as you say, put ourselves in the position of that person who has been struggling for so long and just didn't find a way to say it that would uh, bring out the best in me. And what do I do about that? If I'm smart, I put that one to the side until I cool down. How about you? Yeah, sometimes I get some that I just have to read. I have a general philosophy, by the way, unless it's an immediate quick answer. I generally let my questions sit for a day, maybe two. They're not urgent. And I I let the community kind of chime in. And I find a lot of times, especially in my larger repos where a lot of people are keeping an eye on them, other people will actually answer the question for me and there'll be a nice conversation going which uh, often I learn something from, and then sometimes they actually make a pull request out of that, which I find awesome. Yeah, no, that's the good stuff. And let's state for the record that it's mostly really good stuff. Oh, by Uh, far, yeah. That One of the pleasures of open source, being an open source provider, is the conversations that you get with the people who care about your product. And it's just one of the greatest rewards of doing it, I think, is that interaction you have in the community and the discovery that somebody actually cares about something that you put your heart into. So that's really the brilliant part of it. It's really funny to me that, you know, the way you're talking about this, I've done both open source software and podcasts, is the way I feel about podcasts and some of the feedback I get on the shows. It's really about just how you interact with humans, right? I mean, let's say if you've got a spouse, a friend, a child, whatever, an enemy, (laughs) if you want to talk to somebody and you actually want to get something, let's say you want your buddy to go to lunch with you today, or you want your wife to make you dinner, or you want your husband to, you know, go get the groceries or whatever it might be. If you want somebody to do something for you, you don't say, hey, go do that. Or what you just did was awful. It's the way you come out with it is, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. Are you hungry? Do you have a few minutes? Would you like to go get some groceries with me? You know, kind of you t- try to look at it from that person's perspective to motivate them to work with you. And it's the same way that we do that. Uh, we should be doing that with open source and say, you know what? I've got this problem. I know you tried to solve it, but here's my scenario. And this is why it isn't working for me. Help me see how what I'm missing or help me solve this in another way. We should really sort of divide this show into two parts. What, how to be an effective contributor, like what, you know, on the assumption that many of our listeners would like to contribute to open source and have had a bad experience doing it. And then also uh, from the perspective of uh, uh, an owner of open source, what we could do better to make it easier for people to contribute. And why don't we start with that latter one? Because I I think that's probably more important right away, right? Because if that's not happening, nobody's going to be good. Let's start from the owner's perspective. Well, I think that adopting the uh, no meanness rule is probably pretty good. A good place to start is to welcome. Yeah, sure. What do you mean by the no meanness rule? That means means don't let war be part of your community at all. (laughs) (laughs) Second, gosh, I'm I'm feeling wounded. You guys so mean. Uh, (laughs) Let's let's talk about Star Wars. (laughs) of the first order goodness you know it's actually it's easy to be to be inadvertently me i mean the obvious thing is like when somebody puts something in there you don't say hey you putz what an idiotic suggestion get off my lawn all right so that's kind of obviously mean but there are it's easy to be uh mean unintentionally 
And there are a couple of ways that I can do that. For for example, I can get on my horse uh, or my platform or my soapbox and start going off on why, um, without actually really listening too clearly to what the person was doing, why um, there's the right way to do something. I haven't listened at all to what that person was, where they were coming from or anything like that. I just want to tell them how it is so that they come back better educated next time. This is not a good approach. That's really discouraging to people because you know what? The people who get on here for the most part, they worked hard on their own in the dark before they came and put that issue in there or that comment in or whatever. And they come with their hat in their hand and I just slapped them. So I didn't think I was being mean. I thought I was helping, but I'm not helping when I take that attitude. So that's one of the ones that I have to look in the mirror and change about myself. Uh, what have you got, John? I want to chime in here. There's another easy way to be mean, and that is just being straight up critical of how the, you know, if it's a PR or an issue was phrased or formed like saying, well, you know, well, something like there's bugs in this or there's grammar errors in your request or something like that. Instead of saying, you know, starting off something with thank you for putting this. There's a couple of issues I'd like to have adjusted. Can you make these fixes or things like that? But sometimes just bluntness can actually come off as very off-putting. As much That's as honesty point. is valuable, yes. Saying that, well, there's some, there's, there's a bunch of grammar errors in here. Make it sound, makes it sound like, was, were you a third grader who wrote this, rather than saying, oh, we're, we're missing a period here, there, where there should be a period. Yeah, etiquette's a, a huge piece of it, and I, I chime in and agree with you wholeheartedly, Joe. It's, it's so easy to say if somebody puts in a PR and says, hey, can you fix this instead of that? And maybe let's say I disagree, and I'm the owner of that uh, repository. I could easily just say, nope, don't want to do it. Not whatsoever. Ain't going to happen. Or I could say, hey, thanks for chiming in. I hadn't thought of that before. Could you help me understand why you feel like that's an important change? Because maybe I don't agree with that, or maybe I do, but I'm not totally understanding what you're trying to accomplish. Or you just try to word it out in some way to, to draw out more information. A lot of times I find that when people ask questions on the issues or they point something out, they have in their heads the context of what they were trying to solve, but we don't, they don't always communicate exactly what that is. So when we're reading it, one of the reasons I initially take that knee jerk in my head is I don't quite understand what they're trying to do. So I try to pause and then ask a question back, say, thank you. Is this what you mean? Or is that what you mean? And if that's not what you mean, could you please further clarify that? And I find a lot of times that just encourages the conversation and maybe other people chime in too. Yeah, on the Rails repository, a lot of times people make suggestions. Oh, you know, Rails would be so much easier if you did X. Or, you know, things would be so much better if you involved such and such or so and so. And a lot of times their response is, it's three letters, it's PDI. Please do investigate. And so basically what it is is it's, you know, we're not telling you no. Instead, we would rather have you look into what how we could possibly implement this or what would go into this particular change that you're asking for. And then once we have more and better information, then we'll make a judgment call about whether or not this is something that we can do. And so it's an open call for somebody to be involved rather than a no, this is stupid or it doesn't fit with our project. Yeah, there's a lot to consider when you're answering these. And uh, if we're getting good productive questions and issues, there's a good way to answer that too. Like be overly thankful. Uh, when people make, like all the time, for example, I'm a, I'll use my Angular style guide as an example. I've had over 100 contributors to that. And I got to say, I'm going to guess, and I don't have any facts in this, but I could figure it out, that of the 100 contributors, maybe 70% of those are typos. People will come in and fix where I used the wrong spelling of a word, or I wrote form instead of from, where, you know, and spell check didn't pick it up. Uh, and they'll make a very simple pull request to change things like that, or fix a broken link very low-hanging fruit. And I try to say thank you at least every time I accept those pull requests on the things and just to you know say, look, I appreciate this. I didn't catch it. You did. To kind of pat somebody in the back for it because uh, sometimes those people, that's their first pull request too. And you want to encourage it. When I'm typing, yeah, so John, they're tie-ops, not typos. Uh, 
Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you lost. Yeah, me. I was like, what? <laughs> All right. So, so, so that brings me to another one that's easily overlooked, that, particularly because we're often in a hurry to try and process through these issues and stuff like in PRs. And that's that, you know, we may even, gosh, the other day I did it. I accepted the PR and I pushed it right through, but I forgot to say anything back to the person and it just said closed. And they had no idea that I had actually appreciated their work and incorporated it right into the pro- into the product. And to them, it just looked like I had slammed a door in their face and hadn't done anything with their PR. It just takes a little extra moment to thank the person for the contribution, the effort that they put in. I mean, it is, and I'm, I'm a victim of that too. Sometimes I accept without saying thank you, and it's so easy just to say thank you. You should definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kicking myself because it's <laughs> words have a reflective moment here. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, all of it. I just think about the things that I I do uh, so unintentionally that are easily misread. That I would misread if I was on the other side of it. Uh, you know, it would be easy to say, "Hey, get over it. We're all in the coding business. You know, this is the way we play this sport and all that stuff. Dry your tears." But you know, life is short, and nobody wants to be treated that way. So it's an opportunity to be nice um, and be grateful and show the gratitude that I actually do feel but didn't take the time to express right yeah like for example i, I got so here's one that i denied as a pull request um and what's kind of funny is i didn't even look at this on the angular style guide there are more pull requests than issues which is interesting it's kind of backwards in my mind but uh so the pull requests i'm looking at some of the closed ones and here's one i declined uh the gentleman here was looking to add a pdf he took the time to create a pdf uh for the style guide and this is probably not a great example of me being kind so that's why i picked it and somebody else chimed in and said, hey, you know, it's not really using the format that you want. They had a little conversation. In the end, I, and I, I decided, you know, this is a nice idea, but I don't think hosting a PDF on a GitHub repo is a great idea. Folks can create one as they need to. And so I closed it. But I never, you know, I said thanks, but I never really properly thanked it. He spent time doing this, right? And just because I disagree with it, uh, which is another topic we have to talk about is, you know, it's okay to disagree, by the way, and it's your repo. I think it's important to let people know, look, you took the time to do this. I appreciate it, but it's not something that we're going to do here. Yeah, rejecting somebody kindly is hard because, for one thing, you are rejecting them, right? So, being able to reject somebody with reject their work without rejecting them is difficult to do, and it certainly bears more. It behooves you to spend a little bit more time and patience on something like that. Oh yeah, having been the rejected one on uh, occasion uh, is that's actually very instructive. One, you know, you almost go out there and get your PRs rejected a few times so that you remember what that feels like. Yeah, and reasons for rejection. We we should talk about like you know what are good and bad reasons for re- or ways to reject. Like disagreeing is fine. Like Ward's team, they own Breeze. Breeze is their product at IdeaBlade, and ASP.NET is Microsoft's product, and Angular is the Angular team's product. They are not mandated to accept every PR that comes in. It's their products. I mean, just because I want it to work this way or that way, and I may have a good reason, it doesn't mean they have to accept that PR. So it's okay for them to say no. It's okay if you want a repo to say no, but just be polite about it. Yeah, and, and there has to be some way to keep it open. I mean, I, you're reminding me of one I uh, or a direction. It wasn't a PR, but it was, um, when are you going to do this? When are you going to bring immutability into Breeze? My first reaction is that's like saying, when are you going to make cats and dogs get together? It sort of runs against the grain of what the, the, the library is about. But, but that was a great opportunity to think about it, try and work through the thoughts and, and engage in a conversation. And so one of the things I've done, that kind of I may have done it there or at least somewhere else where what I did was I closed it but I said look I'm closing this because I don't think it's going to go anywhere but if you are still hot about it and think I made a mistake just let me know here and and I'll consider reopening it that little wedge of light can make the difference I think it can and you know what's nice is sometimes I'll get a request and I agree with it but I have no time to do it and this happens a lot to be very honest with you I mean, all the repos that I manage, I don't get paid to manage any of them. So, you know, for me to sit down and work on some of these, it's like, oh, I just don't have the time. I've actually got a job and I've got a family. And frankly, the, both those come first. But I love this idea. So what I've done as, a, as an owner is I, unlike my more popular repos, I create labels for things like uh, help needed or community yeah. contributions. I'm looking for those. Uh, so I put them up there like help wanted signs. And then other people then know by looking at those labels, of, oh, that's one that I can take an opportunity and probably contribute to. And it does work. 
Yeah. So then the next level of accidental insensitivity for me is not getting around to responding to the issues at all or the PRs. When is it too late? Let me ask you that. How long do you think is too long to respond at all? Well, I mean, some of them, you know, like I just went through a, a repo that wasn't mine that I was taking over and there were issues six months back. And, you know, they're, and they concern a state of affairs that doesn't exist and hasn't existed for a very long time. And that you just basically have to close it out. But, you know, it's a sad state of affairs if you're looking there and you're hundreds or thousands of issues behind and you haven't said anything to any of them and you haven't done anything about any of them. That's not a healthy state for an open source project. And by the way, you know, your, as one's energies comes and goes, that happens. So you brought up Bard. I'm behind on that one. And I feel I feel bad. I mean, at this point, I like you know, I throw up my hands and say, I just haven't had time to get back to it. I want to. But uh, I am reminded that I owe those people at least, you know, the courtesy of, uh, I hear you. I don't have time this second. If you want to contribute something, that'd be great. Hang in there with me and remind me again if you don't hear from me in a while. Uh, that's the best I can do. But you got to do something because just sitting there saying nothing leaves people feeling the door has been slammed their face in another way. So then there's the uh, next level up in degree of difficulty about how not to be mean, which is that when you don't even tell people how they can contribute. Uh, ah, so con you're talking about contribution guidelines. There's no contribution guidelines. Just having some contribution guidelines is a, a good thing, particularly if you're you're unwilling to take something without <laughs> – if they don't follow the guidelines. If you don't tell them the guidelines, it's kind of tough. So he here's one I have. We, we can um, openly bash my stuff or not on this. On the style guide, again, this is just a document for Angular at the bottom of the first page, say contributions. And my process for contributions in the style guide are relatively short because, you know, it's not code, so I don't need unit tests or anything there. But my process says, number one, discuss the changes in a GitHub issue first. Number two is open a pull request, reference the issue, and explain the change and why it adds value. And then number three is the pull request will be evaluated and either merged or declined. I mean, I don't promise that people are going to get it in. It's going to be one way or the other. But really what I'm looking for is what happens most often is people don't know how. So sometimes they just open up an issue and they want something, but they want me to do it or they want someone else to do it. But I do encourage, and I think maybe this has worked because as I pointed out earlier, there are more pull requests than issues on here. But I think those are pretty simple rules for a non-code repo. And for a code repo, there's more to do, right, Ward? Always. Although, I, I mean, some repos are, as you say, are harder to contribute to than others. So if you've got a code repo, uh, base repo, then you probably have tests over it. And then there's a whole development of the product can involve just an incredible amount of apparatus that isn't necessary for using it. And it's tough. What do you do? Do you force everybody to go down that gauntlet? I'm not sure because there are certain PRs that I can take. Like if they're going to change the, uh, the documentation on it, you know, I want that one. I don't think they need to have to write tests Unit tests to change the comment on uh, uh, or to add a comment uh, into the API. But if they're going to change the code, then I kind of have to have them do it. And if I don't make it easy for somebody to build the product and test the product, then I've effectively cut them off from that avenue of contribution. Well, let me turn this around on you guys. So, Joe, let me ask you this Have you ever called up customer support somewhere and asked them a question? about how to use something, and they kind of just gave you one of those, what are you, a doofus type answers? No, I've never been accused of being a doofus. <laughs> you know, I can't ahead. think of a specific example, but I'm certain that's happened. Yeah, I mean, it's happened to me. We're like, you know, the first question they answer me when I go and I call in about my printer or something that I buy. From oh, like HD. yeah. Have you Comcast. plugged it in? <laughs> Comcast is the worst. It's like, well, let's see if you – like, I've already diagnosed 10 things on this. It's got to be on your end, guys. <laughs> It's either yeah, your like, modem or something on your power. <laughs> Have you right. jiggled it a little bit? You know, right. Things like that. Is it near a wall? So you get those kind of things. And what I'm getting at from that point is, you know what? If you don't want to be asked silly questions and as an OSS owner, then put those commonly asked things right in your contribution guidelines. Right. You know, if somebody does a PR against my repo where I actually have code, which I've got several of those, I put right in my contribution guidelines – this must follow these guidelines. There must be a PR. You must have an issue that it's referencing. It must be something that has a unit test that tests the capability uh, for both pass and fail where applicable. Yeah, I've got these little bits of guidelines that it should follow so people don't have to wonder, you know, what's the right way to do this? 
And I think that really cuts down on a lot of the frustration that people have when they're trying to figure out how to contribute. I know it's helped me get cleaner pull requests that I can literally just run through and click merge, 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 merge. I have a question about the contribution guidelines, and this is something that comes up periodically as I discuss with other developers, and that is having a code of conduct. Do you feel like open source projects deserve or need a code of conduct? Well, you know, that's an interesting one because I read about that. There's a contributor's covenant kind of thing. Yeah. And it must reflect my lack of awareness of what's necessary there because, you know, I guess the things that I assumed were proper behavior can't be assumed. And, yeah. and uh, uh, so I wonder about this is like I don't I see this at conferences, too. I mean, you got, you know, at NGConf, you got a, a, a code of contact and a conduct and it asks you to do, you know, all kind. It asks you not to do all kinds of things that I, I have a hard time thinking that one would do in the first place. So why are you telling me this? Uh, so maybe I, you guys I can talk this. about that. I love this. And I was waiting. I was hoping Joe or somebody would ask. Chuck did. But Twitter has one that I really like to follow, and I just put the link in the show notes. And they've got six simple things that I'll read quick. Be friendly and patient for the community. Be welcoming. Be considerate. Be respectful. Be careful in the words that you choose. And when we disagree, try to understand why. So this is basically just about how to be a good person, too, right? <laughs> I mean, when you follow these kinds of things, I think it makes it a lot easier not to be, you know, sarcasm doesn't translate well through words. We've all gotten one of those text messages or emails from somebody, probably that we love, right, that said something. I'm like, wow, that was hurtful. And it wasn't meant that way, but that's kind of how it got interpreted. So I think following some kind of code of conduct is a good idea. But frankly, Chuck, I don't see them a lot on repos. And I know I don't have one, but it might be a good idea to add. I, I, I'm reading one right now, and I should put it in the show notes. The, uh, and it, you know, it's just incredibly well written. I agree with it, just as I do the, the codes of conduct that I'm asked to sign when I attend uh, a conference. And I, I guess they're necessary. I'm one of those people also that says, "Really, I got to tell people to open the door for somebody or to be nice." But I guess I do. So I can tell you. I'll give you a few examples here. One of them is kind of embarrassing because I love the Ruby programming language, but recently there was a motion to basically add a code of conduct to the contributing verbiage for the Ruby programming language. And a bunch of people came out and said, we've never had one and we don't need one because Rubyists are supposed to adhere to the uh, principle of Miniswan, which is Matt's is nice and so we are nice and Matt's is the creator of Ruby. But then a whole bunch of other people came out and basically proved the need for the contributor covenant by arguing in a very, in very off-color and off-putting ways about why they need, didn't need one. And so it's it's interesting. I, I I don't know. Initially, my reaction was, yeah, we, we don't need one because we've never had an incident with it. But the nice thing about having one is that when you do have an incident, you can say, hey, that's against the code of conduct. Knock it off or you're gone. And, yeah, you don't need one until you need one. Yeah, you sold me. I'm coming over. It's sad. I'd like a pull request. So if people are looking for it, let's make if people go ahead and put a pull request up my repos for that code of conduct. <laughs> yeah, and most people that I know use Contributor Covenant. But it's just really interesting because, I mean, I think for the most part, people are nice people and they're not going to go out of their way to make other people feel unwelcome or do rude and mean things. But there are those people out there and we've seen it with. Uh, some of these movements like Gamergate and some of these other folks out there that are doing all the way up to and including the things that I think even the people who don't necessarily agree with the social justice movements that these groups vocally oppose would say is not okay when you're actually saying go out and hurt these people because now you know where they live. And so, you know, just by putting that up there and saying, hey, we're not going to tolerate any shenanigans here just tells people, you know, we're committed to having a welcoming community around our project. Yeah. And by the way, this reminds me because, first of all, if you want to remember a bad example, there was that infamous, you know, code like a porn star that really opened people's eyes to was it, wasn't what that a conference you should talk. Yeah, it was a conference talk. Opened your eyes to what not to do. And then what follows on that is this sort of defensive posture about uh, the First Amendment and stuff like that. And so I think we should just, you know, we should just settle that. You know what? The First Amendment is how the government behaves. There is no first. This is our choice here to say that there's kinds of speech that you're welcome to do out in public sphere, but you're not allowed to do here. And don't beat me over the head with the Constitution because I'm not run by the Constitution. I'm run by a different set of rules. Yeah, there is no there is no freedom of speech here. There is how we choose to speak to each other and how we're going to govern ourselves. 
Yeah, I, I kind of chalk it up to a, a metaphor of private property. If you're on yeah. my property and you're doing something I don't like, I have the right to ask you to leave, and you still have your freedom of speech. You can have it off my property. Yeah, so I guess it's necessary. And during the course of the five minutes we've talked about it, I've come, I've come around. <laughs> Maybe that'll happen to somebody who's listening. Well, we all want to think that everybody's going to be nice to each other, but the fact of the matter is is that there are people out there who are going to act badly. It doesn't take long to look in the mirror and think about a presentation or a part of a presentation that I put together that I would now look at and say, maybe that, maybe there's a different, you know, humor, there's lots of opportunities for humor, and maybe that one didn't need to happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe that wasn't so funny. Doing humor in a way that works for everybody is important. and. Humor on OSS is an awful thing to do. I mean, trying to be funny in text when, quite frankly, most developers are not comedians, right? Yeah. Uh, a few exam- differences to that. Scott Hansman, if I believe correctly, actually used to be a stand-up comic. If he's not, he should be. But uh, most people are not very good at that humor. I'm not so good. Ward's not so good. Uh, I'm great at, at it, but I just don't think it has any place here. It just doesn't work great. And, you know, the person wasn't looking for you to have a joke. They were looking for a serious answer. So why not give them a serious answer and, and have a discussion? And just because you can find that kind of humor uh, on the web doesn't mean it's appropriate humor here. And besides the natural human implications of just being a good person about this, I think this is massively important for us to be good OSS citizens because as repository owners, we effectively shared because we wanted somebody else to share in what we have. So if you want to share with people, you have to also be open and welcoming to those people. If you didn't want to share it, don't put it up there. So I think that's a base piece here is don't create something up on GitHub if you're not willing to share and be open with other people. And I think most of us want to be that way. We want to be effective. So take all of that uh, you know, worry about political correctness someplace else because this isn't about political correctness. This is about trying to be effective and supportive of each other. And that's more important than any individual's desire to express themselves in some some way. It's just not about that. It's about the product and it's about getting there together. And anything that gets in the way of that is friction. Well put. I was going to say, I derailed a conversation about how we can make it easy to contribute. So, now, We were talking from the angle of being an open source owner, right? And what we can do. We talked about a code of conduct. We talked about being welcoming, being responsive to issues and pull requests, correcting people. Like, what's the polite way to correct people? Do it politely, right? Tell them, this is great, but hey, there's a merge conflict in here. Could you please address that and then reopen the pull request? Or, hey, could you uh, please add this because I'd like to make sure there's a unit test on it? Or go look at our contribution guidelines. I think all of this is just about common sense and what it's like to be a, a good person overall. Is there anything else we need to add to this? That would fit in a radio show? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready to now go the other way. Like, suppose you, I want to be effective. I want to visit your open source site, right? And I want to raise an issue or I want to offer a pull request. Well, what are the things that I can do that will make improve my chances of being well-received by you, John. Well, let's think about this from what's not a great thing to put on a GitHub repo in my mind. I try to answer this, by the way. So sometimes I get on both my code repos and on my style guide repo, which is really just an it's a more rare case, right? Most repos are code. Sometimes I'll get a question like, hey, I'm trying to do this with Angular, and I want a service to do that. Should I use a factory or a service? And if so, how do I, what's the syntax? Those kind of things are more... Stack Overflow, in my mind, mm-hmm. then GitHub. You know, Angular, I see a lot of these up on the Angular website, especially like larger code repositories. They get these all the time. And to me, the correct thing to do is to redirect that to Stack Overflow as more of a convention. Because uh, I, to me, GitHub issues work really well for solving problems with that particular set of code, not how to use it. But how to right. use it should go up to Stack Overflow. It's not a support forum. Right. And And I think that's an easy thing to say, but it's harder to articulate when somebody is frustrated and just wants your help. Yeah. So that leads to the next thing, which is that when you present a problem, it's great if you can also present a solution or at least a direction in which you would like it to go rather than just say, this no work, unless it's obvious that they don't need any justification or don't need a a way out. But it really is helpful if somebody can provide a recommendation to go with what it is that they're they're having an issue with. Well, at minimum, right, you've got to start with what 
is your question. I try to install, I'm going to pick on, uh, let's say, LightServer, a product, a very tiny repo I put out there for running the Angular uh, 2 stuff. So LightServer is a little tiny server. It's like 80 lines of code at most. And let's say I have a problem running it. I might say in there, I had a problem installing it. I ran npm install. That's what I tried. And this is the error message that I got. And then maybe you should also provide, I'm running on Windows, I'm running on OS X, this version with node 4 dot whatever and npm 3. Uh, you know, giving more information about your environment, what you tried, what happened, and also what you expected to happen. So sometimes you might not have a solution, but you might just say, I think I followed your readme, but it didn't work so great, and here's all the data. That doesn't happen all the time, though, and I think that's a great thing to do as somebody looking for help is to provide all that information. Yeah, provide the details that you think would be relevant. Well, that's the first just, thing I'm going to ask for. <laughs> I'm just going to pile on with a few of these relevant details, so any command line switches, any variables you've put in there, any modifications you've made to anything, any environment variables that you think might be playing into it. A lot of times people just say, well, I ran the, what was it, server command, and it didn't work, and that, yep. that doesn't help. But if you say, I ran this exact command, I'm using, like you said, you know, I'm on this operating system, I have these environment variables set up, I have, you know, and so then you can look at it and you can say, okay, I have a whole bunch of information here. And you can start to narrow down what more you need in order to be able to solve the problem. So, so let me give you the next best thing, because that's ahead. nice and all that, but then I can be drowning in details that you think matter that I know don't. So right. you know what I really like? I like a repro. And it comes in two flavors. One is a set of instructions, short instructions that I, the owner, can follow to reproduce the problem. And the other, which is even better, is if they give me some, you know, and it's only possible for certain kinds of products, but can you give me a plunker or a code pen or a something or other, a JS fiddle that I can run that reveals the problem? Yeah, and that only works for like things like Angular. That works, right? The plunker. But the first one is critical to me is give me the steps you follow to reproduce this and I'll add a third one. How about a video? I it is so simple that. to do a 10 second video, right? With a lot of free software out there. Like I use Snagit sometimes to do an animated GIF and just say, I'm doing this. I don't know how to describe it. Here's a video of what's happening to me. And I've actually submitted this to the VS Code team when they couldn't understand what I was trying to articulate. And that video saved us. It could have saved us hours, but I did it at the end. <laughs> I should have done that right up front. Yeah, it saves the author of the problem time. You know what it takes to describe what you did, you know, step by step, instead of just recording it? It's just, yeah, you're right, John. And I don't even think of that until you just mentioned it, of course. A picture is a thousand words, right? And I, I just think it helps pictures. so much. <laughs> and this, this leads me to probably the best PR I have ever seen. And this is when I was sharing with Ward yesterday. Uh, a buddy of mine at work, we use Angular at work, and a buddy of mine at work was using Angular cookies in 1.3. And Angular cookies has a bug in it. It wasn't working just right. So what we did internally was, because it was a pretty massive shift on how we needed it to work, we actually wrote our own version of cookies that did what we needed to work with Angular, our own service. And I asked the guy, I said, you know what? The Angular team's aware of this issue. Here's an issue in GitHub about it. Could you do me a favor? Could you, you took the time to create this library. Could you open a pull request against the Angular team's library, show them the issue, and make this a pull request that they can pull in? And the guy wrote the instructions up on why the problem exists, linked to other issues reporting it, how you reproduce the issue with running samples, as Ward said, like plunkers you could rerun, a video describing and showing the problem, and then linked the solution to the problem to it. If you can I mean, put that link in the in the show notes so that people can see it, it's kind of over the top. It's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing. It's one of the sort of the best issues that I've ever seen. It sets a bar awfully high, but it gives you an idea of what you could do. Any you know any fraction of that that you could do in order to make it easy for the hard working time stretched owner of the open source project to do something. And I want to give a call out to the guy who did it. His name is Chris Akers and really just did a great job up and on. I put the link to that actual issue up on uh, GitHub in our show notes. And then you can go from that issue. There's overview and motivation, what version it affected. By the way, that's the number one thing people forget to do in my repos. They'll tell me I had a problem with your code, but they don't know a version because yeah, you might have multiple of those. He tells you the browser it happened in, the OS, how to reproduce the error, Related issues gives you steps, shows a video, and suggested a fix, 
and they had a pull request. <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, and you know what's great for the for the Angular team? Their answer on this was, wow, awesome write-up. And now this is what you call a good bug report, awesome summary. So they did the great citizen side of it as well as owning that repo in Angular and said, this is awesome. You know, pat this guy on the back. So before you get all too excited out there, let me tell you about one of the things that I don't want you to do that I've had many times, which is when somebody ships me their entire application. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, and they paste a stack trace that's like 16 pages long into the issue. That's not a repro, by the way. (laughs) Oh, no. Or if they submit a pull request that comes in, and it's got like 20 commits, and it changes stuff uh, everywhere. 800 files, 20 commits, and you know that uh, they're not only addressing the one issue, but a hundred other issues that they see. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I'm not going to run your application for you. You got to pull it out. You got to boil it down, get closer to as close to the bug as you can, and then help me work, you know, give me something to work on because I I just can't learn your application. I can't solve your problem. You You got to keep in mind how many issues get raised on these repos. And we've got to make it easy on open source owners to, want to help us the things like when i was interacting with uh, guy bedford on his system js library and i found some uh, bugs early on in some of the uh, the betas i gave him the information and he was so responsive it made me want to be better about narrowing down the issue for him so his good behavior back prompted me to want to be even better about helping him out because he was so fast at responding um which brings me to another question. Ward, have you ever gotten a pull request from somebody where they said, hey, you know, here's two things I fixed, and it's a pull request, and the two things are completely unrelated. How do you respond to that when they're completely unrelated in one pull request? Yeah, I get a fair number of those. Is that good or bad? It depends on what they are. If they are typo fixes, I'm kind of grateful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I actually am grateful because each PR takes time, right? And so if you're sweeping the docs, I've, I was reading your docs and I found uh, this typo on this one and that typo on that one and this typo on it. That's cool. All right. Because I can manage those in one thing. It's not so cool when it comes to code. And that's the differentiator, I think, for me. Let me uh, give you an Because example. I can actually pull them apart, right? Like, let's suppose there are 10 things that they think are typos or, or infelicities in the, in the text. If they change one of those 10 is something I actually like. I want to keep. I don't want – in other words, I, I like their other changes, but that one, no, nah, they got it wrong. Right. I can deal with that. I can deal with keeping the other nine and getting rid of this one. I got the skills for that. So that's okay. So I I think for certain kinds of PRs, it's okay. But as a general rule, it's suspect if you're fixing things all over the place. Yeah, I have an example from uh, my library called Toaster where I can't remember exactly which one it was. but I, I distinctly remember the situation where this gentleman... He made two changes in one pull request, and one of the changes was awesome. It fixed a bug that I never caught, that he found, and others had been reporting, and I just never traced. And it was great. He fixed this bug. I was so grateful. But in the same PR, in the same commit even, he had also added something that broke an API to another method. And I'm going to make this up, but it was something along the lines of, I don't like the way this method works, so I'm going to add this to it. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that would if I pull that in, it breaks everybody who's using my library. But I wanted the other parts of it. So now I'm stuck in the situation of I can merge it and fix it, or I could not merge it and decline it and make them upset. So what I actually did is I said, this is lovely, it's awesome, and please remove that piece or separate them so we can look at these individually. It wasn't that the second one was a terrible idea. It was that by combining them, it made it much more difficult to just say yes, accept it. Right. So the so the lesson learned out there for folk, because I, I agree with you, John, I, you know, occasionally I'll just fix it myself. But yeah, but generally it's probably a better idea to just ask the person to come in and separate those out. But if, if you're the person contributing, you know, when in doubt, keep them as separate commits because well, I, me- I, the person on the receiving end can do something. And certainly we don't want one commit giant commit that fixes things all over the product. Let me ask you uh, something. I know we're getting close to the end, but I've heard a lot of controversy over this, and I have a very specific opinion on it. And that's, let's say somebody, first time they come to your repo, they didn't even open an issue. They just went right to creating a pull request. 
some communities, people feel like that's really bad form, that you should open an issue first and discuss it. And other communities are like, I really don't care about that. I'm happy with a pull request as long as the pull request also describes, you know, why and follows the standards. Um, and there's people who fall on both sides of that. How do you guys feel about it? I know my answer, but I'm going to wait to hear what somebody else says. Just go with your answer, Ward. We want to hear it. <laughs> we all want to hear it. You know we do. Oh, I want to say it, too. I'll take the PR. You said something earlier where you were saying you were shocked that you had more PRs than issues. I mm-hmm. wish I had more PRs than issues because PRs, I mean, I, I can decline them, but at least they may provide the fix. So as long as you describe, for me, as long as I understand what the PR is about. And remember, a lot of the, it just so happens at the moment that I think it's very product specific. So right now, I'm spending a lot of time accepting PRs in documentation, and uh, and those are largely typos and things like that. That you know, I don't need an issue for that. Just, just yeah, fix and it. you don't even need to explain it. But the typo, you know, don't even explain it. Just put the typo in there. Just and fix, fix it. it. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of those now. If somebody was about to, let's suppose somebody wanted to create brand new content, or let's say they want to create a brand new feature for Breeze, right? And they just take it in their heads to create that and chuck that in there. Well, again, I mean, first of all, it's like, wow, couldn't we have discussed this first? But at least with the PR, I've got code that I could potentially use. So I'm, I'm happy with the PR, John. I am, too, as long as there's a leaving typos out of it, as long as there is some kind of explanation, which is why, uh, like in the style guide especially, I'm thrilled with the PRs I get because people tend to look at other PRs before they make them. At least I think they do because most of the PRs I get, they follow the same suit of, hey, I would like to make this change, and here's why that change is something I'm suggesting. And then they that's in the PR itself. It gives me opportunity to skip the whole issue idea and just say, yeah, I like this, or no, I don't, or have a conversation right in the PR itself. So, yeah, I'm cool with that, too. I don't feel like you need to open an issue. Like, there's an etiquette, like, it's a, you're a bad person if you don't. But I do think it's something you should be aware of, because maybe in the contribution guidelines of a specific repo, somebody might really want it the other way. And frankly, as a person who uses a lot of other people's code too. I always look for the contribution guidelines to see how do these people want to be communicated to. Yeah, that's certainly true. If we're going to put the guidelines out there, somebody should read them. Yep. I will tell you also, just folks out there, I don't know if other uh, open source owners are the same way, but I clear the PRs before I clear the issues. I just look at the PRs first. That shows a greater degree of dedication to me, in my mind generally, because you don't just tell me something's wrong. You're giving me a solution. I like solution-based stuff. If I've got limited time, I'm going through the PR queue first, and then I'm going over to issues. And I may just not get to issues. I look at issues as a great place to discuss things when you don't know exactly what the answer is, and PRs is a great place to discuss it when you're pretty darn close to what the answer is. So do we all feel better about ourselves? Should we have a a hug? Let's have a hug. Skype hug. I tell you, it's hard. You know, being an open source owner is hard. Being an open source, contributing, you know, from you folks out there who contribute, it's hard. It's a challenge. I have to say I like it a lot better than the old days when it was all proprietary. And the only it's, requests it's, I got were from the boss. <laughs> the boss. Dun, dun, dun. The boss. The boss. The boss, man. The one thing I'd like to wrap up with is, is there's a lot of large open source projects out there. ASP.NET, Angular, Linux, a lot of these things. And I think we have to keep in mind that when we're talking with them, they have their own rules on how to contribute, too. And it's important to, if you want to put an issue or a PR on with them, it's really important to read what they're doing because some of those are, are companies and some of those are, you know, supported by companies, but they might have specific rules that differ from how a Ward Bell or John Papa puts their stuff out there. So it's really important to at least when you're walking in somebody else's house to at least understand, you know, do they want you to take your shoes off or not? So, um, you know, respect the place that you're living in. And if you don't appreciate or like what they're doing, you can always pick up your business and go somewhere else, too. Yeah. The other side yeah. of it is I look at a lot of OSS repos and if they don't keep up their repos, like if you don't answer questions and you don't close PRs and you've got haven't had activity or a commit in three years, that's probably not a great project to be using. Can I throw one more thing in there? Because I'm suddenly inspired by, uh, gosh, Ruby of all things. DHH just wrote, and I don't really know. Somebody knows what DHH stands for. Uh, and there are days. Dear happy can... husband. I don't remember what he <laughs> no, no, no. Hansen. Thank you. He just Thank wrote. You. <laughs> he wrote a post, you know, that was, uh, you know, software has bugs, and we all chuckle and write that. But his point, 
in there was some people have a way of getting really upset that there is a bug in the software and that we are, you know, those of us on our side really ought to jump right on that thing and fix it. And I know I feel that when there's a bug with John's software um, <laughs> and I'm super annoyed that he doesn't get on it as fast as I know he should, but I don't like being the, on the other side of that one the person who has the bug. And it's like, let's have a little understanding out here. A lot of OSS software is done by people spare in, time. in their spare time. A lot of it paid for, so that's good. Uh, you should have expectations that understand who the person is behind it and how they're getting paid. But wow, you know, software has bugs. It's a fact. And your bug may not be the top of everybody else's list. So a little understanding would be nice. All right. With that, let's go ahead and get to picks. Uh, Joe, what are your picks? Why do you make me go first every time? Gosh. All right. I want to pick John's, gosh, what is it, John? Light server? Live server? Lightsaber. <laughs> Life saver. He, he went silent. It's it's light server, isn't it, John? It he's, is light. He's, it's light server with a T. It's a super cool, the little 80 line. It's amazing when he does an 80 line. I'll be honest. I don't think it's perfect. I have some issues with it, right? But I think it's awesome still. And if I was a very responsible adult, I would spend some time and contribute to it and make it better. And people should because it's actually a really great server. It's a lot better than well, – a lot more features than HTTP server, even more features than live server, which is the one that people kind of go to when they don't think that HTTP does quite enough for them. It's a great little product. So I want to pick that. As let me just let me just call out pile on with two thoughts about that. There are two things that it does that are really valuable. One of them is that the browser sync part of it, the browser refresh, live reload. Mm -hmm. And the other is, which is why we use it in the documentation, is that we do a lot of stuff in Angular with routers, right? And that allows you to do a deep link into something. And unlike the other servers, it doesn't fail when you paste paste a, a deep link into the address bar it yeah. realizes the server realizes that that's not for that's not for the server that's supposed to be answered client side and it does the right thing with it and it's for that reason in particular that it wins the day for us yeah it's a huge deal so you don't have to do hashtag routing nope. you can do html5 routing and it still works when you refresh the page. It's so awesome without having to build an actual, like, real server. It's like the only product out there that really does that, that I know of, at least. The only popular one. And I'm, one. Surpri I'm surprised, but that was what motivated mm -hmm. John to write it, because we wanted to be able to develop a, a, a router, a, a, right. a, an application with a router in it. Yeah, so cool. Good choice. Yeah. And then for my other pick, it's going to be the TV show, The Goldbergs. Been watching that a lot recently. Absolutely love it. Hilarious. Written by the, a guy basically about his childhood growing up in the 80s. Me, myself being a child of the 80s, I appreciate it. But it's also just a great show regardless of whether or not you were a child of the 80s or can appreciate the 80s or even were alive in the 80s. It's still a hilarious show. So that's going to be my pick, my other pick. Oh, yeah. We're at a point in time where people listening to this show may have a career and not be have been alive in the 80s. That's just so weird to me. <laughs> yep. All right, Ward, what are your picks? Well, curious that you should say something about the 80s, because I have to go back a little further. I'm putting in a movie I saw that had my hand over my mouth the entire time called Diary of a Teenage Girl. It's the coming-of-age story. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm imagining you sitting at your home couch watching this. <laughs> oh, Tears streaming God, down his face. I don't it even was, know what it's It's a about. 2015 film. It was at Sundance. It's, I'm pasting in a New York Times review of it. I was. It's this. It's a story of a 15 year old sort of. Yes. So don't watch this with your kids. Sexual awakening thing in the 70s. Her mom is played by Kristen Vig, and her mom is kind of like out there. You know, these. This was an era in which people discovered that you didn't have to behave the way you were told to behave when you were a kid or by your parents. And this included their parents, and they suddenly are unmoored, and they're going off, and they're doing their drugs and their parties and stuff, and not being particularly attentive parents. And you're watching this kid make decisions that you're cringing. I was cringing the whole time, and it brought me back to the 70s, sorry. And I remember sort of being in those perilous situations that I didn't even realize were so perilous. And here's what it did for me. I used to say that as a parent, I would never tell a kid not to do something that I did. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> so how could I how could I tell them not to smoke that when I smoke that? Not to do that, have that. Ex- uh, uh, after watching this, I said, nope, no. This is a time. There are times when you need to sit down with your kid and say, although I did that. I skated very close to the edge of the cliff, and I want you to know that that cliff is there and that you could go. I didn't happen to go over the cliff, but I could have gone over that cliff, and I didn't know it. And I want you to know that, you know, my child, my daughter, my son, whatever, that that cliff is there. And this movie brought that really home to me. So it was very powerful, and I recommend it. Cool. John, what are your picks? Wow, that how do I come up and follow that? <laughs> um, I'm going to do a technology pick. So, so uh, Visual Studio Code, my favorite editor, now has code folding, which is the most popular feature that's out there. So I am very, very excited with that. Uh, also, and I'll put the link into the show notes, there is a new, very cool uh, virtual reality um, thing that we can use. I'll, you know, I'll make you explore. I won't give you too much information. But it's basically uh, something that you hold in your hands and it lights up. And you can then battle things like stormtroopers with it. And maybe you should get one of these for Ward Bell. That sounds not safe for work, John. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds awesome, whatever it is. I want one. It's fantastic. Lightsabers with virtual reality is basically what it is. Oh, (laughs) gosh. Louise. (laughs) Well, Ward, if you hate Star Wars so much, then you can get into virtual reality and kill some of the Star Wars with the lightsaber. Hey, it's a win-win. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I'd turn it on myself first. It is It is actually really, really cool. So uh, I'm actually pretty excited to play with this. But uh, I'll put the link into there. There's a nice little thing called VR with lightsabers. Uh, it's from something called Star Wars, uh, The Trials on Tatooine. Very cool. Uh, I'm going to wrap up just by letting some folks know. Oh, well, first of all, when uh, John, when you said, I, I don't know how to follow that, I almost said, Bacon! Anyway. And I don't know why I said that now, but I did. So anyway, uh, I'm going to be traveling the next uh, several weeks. Uh, When this episode comes out, it's probably going to be the day that I am doing a meetup in San Francisco. So I'm going to find a place close to the Build Conference, since that's where I'm going to be. JavaScript Jabber and iFreaks were invited out there. So uh, two of the shows will be there. I'm going to strong arm the hosts into showing up to the meetup. Uh, which I think from JavaScript Jabber is just AJ and I. But anyway, so come out, meet us. I, I love meeting people who are out there in programmer land listening to these shows. It really just helps me kind of connect with you and who you are uh, in a way that I can't really do over the podcast or even over Skype. So uh, anyway, it'll be March 30th uh, will be the night of that meetup. And then April 2nd. I guess I'll have to show up for that, you know. You, you should. Know, I'll be there. So, so anybody in the audience that wants to, to meet me, I'll show up there. Awesome. And then on April 2nd or 3rd, I'm going to be in Las Vegas, and we'll be doing a meetup there. I'm not quite sure where there either, so watch my Twitter feed because I'm going to be putting details out there. Also, if you go to adventuresinangular.com and you fill in the form that says get the top 10 Adventures in Angular episodes in your inbox, uh, that gets you on the email list where I send these things out. So just to throw that out there. So on May 5th, during NGConf, JavaScript... Why isn't it on May 4th? I'm sorry. It's got to be on May 4th. Joe, they're, they're doing an event that night for oh. NGConf, and I don't want to overlap. I feel yeah, May the fourth be with you. Yeah, it's the party. <laughs> I, I feel less bad making people miss part of the game night. So, uh, well, Ward likes the Star Wars theme, so we have to do that. Night. <laughs> oh, oh, That's your right. We'll have a special. We'll call it Ward Day. May the fourth, Ward Day. You know, oh no! May it, the Ward be with you. That's International Labor Day. You can't do that. If you're handing out prizes. You should require anyone who wins a prize that day to be dressed up in Star Wars. Oh, that's an awesome idea. Anyway, um, idea. so May 5th, right after NGConf, there's about an hour break for dinner. We'll take advantage of that and probably a little bit more somewhere near the conference in Salt Lake City. We'll be doing a meetup there. Now, Joe and I live in, in or near Salt Lake City, but uh, this is an opportunity, again, for people who are at the conference or people who uh, are there but don't necessarily get out to other events to come out and meet us if you like the show. So that way we can connect and it'll be a lot of fun. And then in July, July 9th... Wait, forget the uh, live episode on the Friday. Yes. Live episode on Friday. Don't miss it. <laughs> we did one last year. It was a lot of fun. Anyway. Yep. So it's lunchtime on the NGConf stream, so which is yeah. free to everybody. You can watch us live. You can actually see our ugly faces. And then July 9th, I'm going to be in Chicago. So 
Uh, I'll be out there for Any podcast movement. I'm not going to be there for a code thing, but I'm actually staying an extra day so I can meet people. So please come out. That's on a Saturday, and you know we'll do a dinner get-together thing. All of these are dinner get-togethers. We'll just find a restaurant that we can pack with 20 or so people. More if more people RSVP, and then we'll hang out and chat, and I'll try and make sure that I make the rounds and get to meet everybody. So yeah, so that's what that's what we're doing. So those are my picks, I guess. All right, well... Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com forum and sign up today. 